Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And this is the next in our series of 2020 mini-episodes. During this time of social distancing, we realized that a lot of our favorite authors and artists would not be able to promote their new books. We've spoken with incredible creators of middle grade and YA and graphic novels and picture books, and we're really excited to share this with you. Please enjoy this slight deviation from our regular content and remember to buy from your local independent bookstores. We continue our series today with Newberry author Erin Entrada Kelly, whose new book, We Dream of Space, came out in May. actually didn't realize that your book We Dream of Space came out May 5th is that right it did yes it did May 5th I don't know how I missed that one because first of all I love your books and then second of all I actually have a special interest in that particular topic because it's about the Challenger explosion and uh, I saw that like live in person (laughs) oh wow yeah I mean well I mean it's easy to miss because there's so much going on right now so a lot of the books that came out during the pandemic are you know it was easy for them to get lost in the in the madness but yeah so you have to pick it up and tell me what you think yeah definitely so for anybody who uh, like me is not super familiar with it can you tell us a little bit about it sure so we dream of space is about it's about the Challenger disaster, but but really it's about family, and the Challenger is kind of um, the undercurrent that holds the narrative together. So it's told from the point of view of three siblings, Bird and Fitch, who are both 12, they're twins, and their older brother, Cash, who is 13, but he's failed a grade. So the three of them are all in seventh grade together. And the whole book takes place over the month of January, 1986. And these three siblings are very, they feel very unmoored and alone in the world, as many of my characters do in my books. And the only thing that they really have in common is their science teacher, Miss Salonga. And Miss Salonga is very invested and excited about the Challenger launch. So she has them learning about it in school. She has them, she puts them into crews, imaginary space crews, so they can do missions and all this other kind of stuff and bird the girl character is very excited because she wants to be nasa's first female shuttle commander but her brothers are are far less interested so you know the the upcoming launch is kind of the undercurrent that you know comes to a head in the end and kind of ties everything together wow that sounds wonderful I was only in kindergarten when that happened but it still has been a, a source of fascination for me ever since Oh, yeah. I think those of us who, you know, were kids in the 80s, particularly or older, of course, but especially those of us who were kids, because it was, you know, the first for me anyway, it was the first real big news story and this first massive national disaster that I can remember happening in my childhood. So, you know, it it leaves a mark and it's a teacher. And when you're a kid, your teachers are your, you know, kind of your heroes. You don't think anything bad can happen to your teachers. So, you know, it's it's a mix of all that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're larger than life. Yeah. They rolled the TV in and for us to watch it. And then they saw what was ha- starting to happen and rolled it away. And I, I didn't really understand what had happened for a while after. Yeah. I, I remember seeing it. I was in fourth grade 
And I remember after it happened, I thought, is that what's supposed to happen? I was very confused. It didn't seem like that was what was supposed to happen. But then I thought, well, it doesn't occur to you, especially, you know, when you're a kid, it doesn't occur to you, especially that it, that something like that would happen right before your eyes. So yeah. um, I think for, for all those reasons, it really left a mark on those of us who were around at that time. And unfortunately, a lot of kids today, unless they live in a state where one of the astronauts was from or that had an invested interest in the launch, a lot of them are not familiar with it. So this is a good way to um, honor the the astronauts and, mm-hmm. um, you know, also talk about all the issues that affect kids of any generation. So with the research with this book, did you get to do, did you get to talk to some astronauts? Did you get to do some special NASA tours? I didn't do any special NASA tours, although that would have been fun. Um, I have been to NASA several times only because I grew up uh, near Houston in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is only a few hours outside of Houston. But for research, I did a lot. I did a lot of talking to people and I also did a lot of gathering information, of course. For example, I went on eBay and I found Someone did an estate sale, and as part of the estate sale, someone had gathered six scrapbooks with nothing but clips about the Challenger disaster. So, you know, it can be tricky to, you you know, obviously I can go online and do a search, but I'm not going to get a lot of the, like, hometown newspapers and, you know, things like that, the smaller papers, like the paper where Judith Resnick, one of the astronauts, is from, the Akron paper. It's not like their archives are ready for anyone to to search online, but someone had collected all these articles. So I bought that and I read a lot of books, children's books that are very obscure and out of print that I found that were published around that time, that kind of thing. So it was a very, you know, it was nostalgic because it was the eighties, although it was obviously not something that's, that's joyful to research, but there were a lot of elements that that had the the nostalgia associated with them, just because it was 1986, you know. And those of us of a certain age uh, have a lot of nostalgia around that period. Of course, and one thing that I think is really incredible, or think that I'm I'm really grateful for, and this this book falls into this category, is that in the 80s I felt like we got a lot of stories about boys, kids, and their lives, like the Goonies, like you know, and we were there too. The girls were there too. Right. And like, usually we were in a band with other kids on bikes, just like the boys were. And so I love reading stuff like this because it reminds me that we were there. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I haven't gotten a chance to read this yet, but yeah, I don't know if you have that same experience with, with things from the eighties. I had a lot of, in fact, there are things in the book that are very, some covert and overt things. For example, Bird's mother is, she kind of self-identifies as a feminist. She never says she's a feminist, but at the same time, she she has complicated feelings about the fact that uh, she works as a secretary, as they were called then, and that she she has most of the housework she has to do, but she has these, these other beliefs. But at the same time, she corrects Bird if Bird eats too much sugar or, you know, she kind of... Bird wonders why she can't eat the same things as her brothers and her mother says, you know, well, they're growing boys, but kind of, you know, the implication being that you shouldn't grow, but they should, you know, and then all these, her her mother seems very focused on appearances and how she looks and how Bird looks. And it's all very confusing because she 
she, her mother, also identifies with the things that were happening in the 80s, you know, with Gloria Steinem and all the, the, the women's rights, you know, fervor that was still continuing on into the 80s. It's, you know, all that's in there. And then also the the father has his own complicated feelings, you know, like he even says to Bird that women shouldn't go, shouldn't be allowed to go in space together because who knows what could happen, you know, whatever that means. <laughs> so uh, he says, I think the, the, the line that I put in there was he says, what happens if they get there, you know what, while they're in space, you know, like that's his, his <laughs> argument. People said those things, you know, and still do. Of course, people thought those things in the 80s and, um, so I did. I did have to think a lot about that, and and Bird struggles with that because, you know, in the book, one of her classmates says, kind of slips up and tells her that she's not very pretty, that she Bird is not very pretty, and she says, "Well, being pretty isn't really your thing anyway. Being smart is your thing," and Bird is very confused, you know, as as would any young girl, you know. It just opens a well of questions, you know, like what does that mean? What does it matter? What does pretty mean? Why can't I be pretty and smart? Why do I have to be pretty anyway? I mean, all these things that all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, who grew up, you know, can identify with. So one thing that I was always fascinated by, and I think kids have continued to be fascinated by, is using the bathroom in space. Do you go into this very, very important topic (laughs) in this book? (laughs) Sadly, I do not. Ooh, I just uh, snorted. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't come up, but now that you've asked that question, I kind of wish that I would have included a, a kid asking that question in the book because, you know, then we could have, you know, explored mm. that a little bit. But but I feel like I know because I saw Space Camp, the movie Space Camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Joaquin Phoenix, you know, uh, mm. who was Leaf Phoenix back then, you know, he had to go to the bathroom when they were when they accidentally, you know, shot off into space because the movie's so realistic, right? <laughs> uh, he has to go to the bathroom and he asks that question. So maybe I didn't address it because I, I just knew because I watched this, you know, national treasure of a film, Space yeah. Camp. <laughs> In the mind of '80s kids, that question has been answered definitively. <laughs> yes, well, obviously. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, he answers all questions, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, everything from space bathroom habits to tinfoil hats if aliens come or you That's name true. it. That's true. It's got it all. Um, well, I'm going to segue into something that is not a toilet and is actually yes. very cool. I hear I hear that you have something being developed for Netflix. I do. Hello Universe is currently being adapted. So right now it's very, very early stages and they're working on the script. They're finishing up the script. So, you know, fingers crossed that sooner rather than later it gets moving and they'll start casting and doing all that stuff. But as as of now, it is being adapted and, you know, we're, we're in the infant stages, but I'm very excited. I'm excited so too. So exciting. So Leilani of the Distancy, of course, is a beautiful book. Um, and you drew on um, fairy tales and folk tales mm-hmm. for that. Do we have, do you have anything else you're working on with those? Not, not in the same, not in the same world, you know, like, as you know, I'm mostly realistic fiction is kind of mostly my jam. And so Lalani is my first fantasy and maybe I'll revisit, you know, I have like little seeds of things. Um, I always have seeds of ideas in my brain, but right now I'm really working on the chapter book series because uh, you know, the first book should launch next summer, and I'm also doing the illustrations for it. Oh, wow. Oh. 
So yeah, so I'm really excited. It's a lot of work. It's a it's a totally different. Well, it's not totally different. I mean, it's realistic fiction, and it's just you know a younger age group than I've written for before. But because I'm doing the illustrations, you know, that adds a whole other element to the to the entire experience. So I'm kind of zeroed in on that right now. Can you tell us about the series? Absolutely. So it's about a little girl named Marisol, and I have to say that you know there's pieces of me in, in all the characters and all my books, but Marisol is really very much little Erin, you know, when she was seven or eight years old. And so she is growing up in Louisiana and she's biracial. Her mother's from the Philippines and her father is white and she's growing up in South Louisiana. And she's very, she's not exactly shy, but she's very quiet and cautious She's not spunky. We'll put it this way. So, so when, one problem I had when I was growing up, whenever I'd pick up chapter books, and even now you pick up a lot of chapter books and the girl characters are really spunky or they're quote unquote tomboys, or they're always getting into shenanigans and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. But that was never me when I was a kid. So I never related to those chapter book characters, even though they're so beloved and they're wonderful. It just was not me. So I wanted to write a chapter book series with a character who is quiet and very, very imaginative, very sensitive, sweet, and quiet. And so that is Marisol. The problem with that is, or the challenge is, it's it's more difficult than one might think to build a story around a character who does not get into shenanigans, because the shenanigans <laughs> is the part of the story that is the story. So uh, the struggle has been you know, how am I going to write a story about a kid who is afraid of things and, and doesn't get into any anything, you know, and is not spunky, you know? So that's been the challenge. But my hope is that little girls who were like that, who were like me, you know, I was a, I was a little bookworm and I was pretty quiet and I was always unsure of myself, you know, and I had a rich interior life, but I wasn't, you know, charging out into the the dark forest, you know, to battle dragons or what have you. I was very cautious. So, you know, and there's kids like that out there, obviously. Oh, so you're, I'm you're preaching that... to the choir here, believe me. <laughs> well, I'm talking to book nerds, so I feel like book nerds <laughs> proud to find those people. I mean, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but no, you are um, correct. In my mind, I in my mind, I was the spunky kid, right? Um, not me. In like in mind. my mind, in my mind, and when I would read, but like otherwise, I was I was pretty quiet. And, uh, yeah, same. Yeah. I always felt like I should be like, maybe I should be more spunky. You know, I was always kind of like, I, I don't know, but I just, I was afraid of a lot of things. You know, I was afraid of, I was afraid of physical pain, which, which sounds, well, it doesn't sound weird. I mean, who, who wants to be in physical pain, but I was, I was scared to the point where, you know, I didn't want to, I was worried if I did a cartwheel, like what if I snap my wrist or if I climb a tree, what if I fall out of it? Or, you know, if I sleep on the top bunk, what if I roll off? You know, this kind of thing. I was constantly worried about that I was going to hurt myself somehow. Or, mm -hmm. And I think it all stems from when I was a kid, I, I did not have, you know, a strong belief in myself. I was, I, you know, I had low self-esteem. I, I was like always second guessing everything that I did. And I didn't trust that I knew what was best. And I think sometimes that manifests into all, all different kinds of things, you know, so I wanted to write a book with a character who feels all those things. But luckily, you know, she has this very, very rich 
interior life and a very, very rich imagination. And so it's been, it's been great spending time with her, even though she's been a challenge just because, you know, there's no, there's no shenanigans. So I have to think of shenanigans for her to get into, but, um, and then the illustration part is new to me. So it's all been a lot of work, but, uh, you know, it'll be worth it. And hopefully readers will agree. That sounds really great. I can't wait. So that's a lot to be working on. I'm assuming you don't have any other projects in the offing. No, I do not. As far as, you know, I'm, well, I say, no, I do not, but I'm always writing, um, middle grade. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like in the very, very beginnings of, of writing the middle grade, another middle grade, but, you know, but nothing, nothing, you know, that I can, no, nothing that I can robustly discuss. If that's, if that's even, I don't even know if that phrase goes together, but we'll go with it. It totally, it totally is a phrase. Okay, we'll make it one. Well, can can we end with inquiring about your pets? Of course. I mean, I don't know why we didn't open with that. I know. Um, it was very fact, foolish. Forget everything else. Let's just talk about that. Um, so I have a dog. His name is Marlowe, and he's named after Christopher Marlowe, not Philip Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a rescue. And I have to tell you, so I, I, I got him from the rescue from his foster mom, and his name was Mango. And I didn't, I didn't care for Mango, so I changed <laughs> it to Marlowe. But I got him, and they said he was a poodle mix. And I, I did a DNA swab of his mouth, and I sent it off to the dog DNA team. And they sent back the results, and he is not a poodle at all. He's like Maltese Shih Tzu um, Schnauzer mix, you know. And not that it matters either way, but I was really curious, you know. Like most people get DNA tests to find out their ancestry. (laughs) And and I chose, I'm going to invest this this money because it's not cheap to get a DNA test on my dog. I mean, priorities. (laughs) Well, I have a surprising number of friends who have done that. I think it's a a very popular choice. (laughs) It is, you know, so that's his background and he's very, very sweet. I call him the gentleman pup because Mm -hmm. he is very, first of all, he wears a bow tie and he is very, very, sweet and gentle like he's a very gentle sweet dog and then I have pinball who is my hedgehog and he is not sweet so I went to the breeder I went to the hedgehog breeder there is a hedgehog breeder I'm sorry I'm sorry back up just the the sentence I went to the hedgehog breeder well I mean that's what she is. She's a hedgehog. I mean, she doesn't have the hedgehogs herself, but she breeds hedgehogs. She does the hedgehogs, but do the, she, I mean, do, did your hedgehog come with papers? Like it has like a, a lineage? You know what? No, actually, oh. now, now that you mention it, no, he did not. But she was a very, she's a very, you know, she's got these hedgehogs, very responsible. So I go and she's in New Jersey. Now, hedgehogs are illegal in some states, but in Delaware, they're illegal. So I'm not doing anything criminal here. <laughs> But the breeder's in New Jersey, so drove to New Jersey, and she's like, let me introduce you to our latest uh, hedgies that are up for adoption. So I met them, and they were cute and everything, but I just wasn't feeling a connection, you know, <laughs> like, like on an emotional level. And I was like, oh, he's cute, she's cute, yeah, they're cute. And And there was like four of them that I met. And then she goes, she says, I have other ones um, in the other room. 
that are available at a discount. <laughs> the discount hedgehog room. Oh my god. Yeah, she says the Goonies. I, right. She says the Goonie hedgehogs at a discount. And she said because um, basically nobody wants them. You know, they're they're like the grouchy, mean hedgehogs that that you know don't want to uncurl and they're they're very angry at the world you know i mean you can blame them so she's like i have these other hedgies do you want me to bring out you know one of them so she brings out this hedgehog called reggie which admittedly is a good name but he didn't i didn't i wasn't feeling reggie but reggie she brought him out oh my gosh (laughs) I didn't even think of that. <laughs> if I had thought of that, I might have kept his name as Reggie, but I didn't. So she brought him out, and she's like, this is Reggie. And she said, um, he doesn't like to come out of his ball ever, but he likes to run on his wheel. And so she hands it to me, and he's, like, hissing, because hedgehogs <laughs> make these really loud hissing sound when they're angry, and they they, like, they literally turn to a ball with spikes coming out, and he's very mad. And he refuses to come out, you know, and she wants to get him cleaned up in case I want him to cut his toenails because his little, well, not toenails, claws, um, (laughs) because they're very long. And she's like, I want to get him all cleaned up. But he refused to come out of his ball. So to make a long story short, I was like, this is the one that I want, (laughs) you know, the one, the one who is, does not want to come out of his ball. He's very angry and upset. Uh, he just wants to be left alone. You know, I didn't want the one that was running around all cheerful and stuff. Of course, I want the angry one. <laughs> um, and so, but plus he had freckles. I mean, come on. And his nose was, his nose is slightly crooked. And he's kind of got like these little buggy eyes. And he's just, he's just too much, too much cuteness. So I was like, yes, I'll take him. Well, it just reminds me so much of how I got my dog. Actually, from a hedgehog. No, from well, okay. So I have a I have a corgi. (laughs) I have a little corgi, and we got him from a breeder, from a lady who who did breeding at home the same way, kind of. And she had all these little puppies, and they were the cutest things you've ever seen. But yeah, same thing with like the not the emotional connection. And she's like, "Well, I have this other dog." And I was like, "Go on," and and they they brought out my dog, who was one at the time, and I guess nobody wanted him because he's scared of everything. Um, he's he's scared of people's feet is the weirdest thing, and he's a corgi, so he's down there, you know, around everybody's feet all the time, so he's scared all the time. (laughs) And, I, yeah. and his name then was Chunk, which we which we changed to Pierre, but um I probably should have left Pierre. it Chunk. Yeah. Uh, well now I'm thinking I should have left Reggie because it runs with Hedgie, but now I can't <laughs> change it. But we don't even call him Pinball because my partner started calling him Chuffy. So my partner Dan is like <laughs> You know, I, have, I travel, well, I used to anyway, uh, to do like, you know, book stuff. And he's like, you know, I, I spent some time with Chuffy today and I was like, who's Chuffy? And he said, well, that's what I've decided to name Pinball because that's the sound that they make. Like if you try to talk to them and he really doesn't like Dan and he he likes me now if I pick him up because I, I did this whole bonding thing with him. Like you hold him close to your chest for like at least 30 minutes a day. So when we first got him, I was carrying him around in a Bjorn. And so now when I take him out, at first he's mad, but then I'm like, it's mommy, you know, of course, because I'm mommy. And then he comes out 
but Dan, he does not like anything about him. So he, he makes this really huffy, like angry sound. So now we call him Chuffy because that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> like he's chuffing. He's really angry about it. Um, he's so cute though. Uh, I have to tell you. So when you put him in the baby Bjorn and yeah. you were bonding with him, was he chuffing then? Cause I imagine him being very angry. He is first. very, yes. At first he is very angry. Um, and I kind of have to talk to him and say, it's all right, you can come out. And then he'll poke his little head out. Now used to, when I first got him, he would, he would not come out, you know, it was be a good while before he would get out of his ball, but now he comes out almost right away. But so then if I, so if I try to like, but if I try to like move him too much, he'll still go back in his ball. So he'd be balled up inside the baby Bjorn. Yes. Be, okay. And then I would hold him close to my chest, like, you know, like you would an actual baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like skin to skin. Know, yeah. You know how, like, <laughs> when you hold a baby, you hold their head, like, to your chest? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that, except, you know, it's a hedgehog, so it's just one hand. <laughs> um, and then he would eventually uncurl, you know? So it would eventually happen. But for the most part, hedgehogs are not super into cuddling, you know? One of the ones I met the, whenever I first went to the hedgehog breeder is one of the hedgies I met was very friendly and wanted to, to run and play. Of course, I didn't choose that one, as we know. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm like, I identify with the grumpy hedgehog. Maybe that's what it was. I feel like I feel like this is the quality content people need at this time. It's like all toilets and hedgehogs. This is all we need. We are probably taking up too much of your time, but um, this was really fun. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us. Thanks for, for thanks for inviting me and chatting with me. I mean, I could talk all day about my um, my animals and pets and other people's animals and pets. We could too. Erin, <laughs> thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast, where we talked with Erin Entrada Kelly, author of We Dream of Space. Check out our long-form interview with her at NewberryTart.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.